0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, looking this evening at chapter 5, verse 11 through chapter 6, verse 3. Hebrews 5, 11. hear the word of God. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Let's pray. Lord, as we study Your Word tonight, we pray that we ourselves would not be dull of hearing, but that we would hear what You have to say to us from the Scriptures, that Your Spirit would be with us to assist us and to teach us. Give us sharp minds, clear minds, here in this late hour of the day to study, to think together about Your Word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I have the very first Amy Grant album. Vinyl, pristine condition. The title is simply Amy Grant. However, Amy Grant's sixth album was probably it. Uh, probably, I think all time or best. Uh, it was Age to Age, and it was the one that really sort of uh, put her on the charts in a, in a pretty big way in contemporary Christian music circles. Uh, had that as a cassette tape, which had gotten worn out. You know, you listen to it, and it squeaks in various places that had gotten so worn out. There was a song, there were a lot of good songs on age to age, but there was one in particular that always comes to mind when I think about this passage. A song was entitled Fat Baby. Anybody heard of it? Heard Fat Baby? Well, I'm not going to sing it for you, but I will give you the lyrics. They go this way. I know a man, maybe you know him too. You never can tell, he might even be you. He knelt at the altar, and that was the end. He saved, and that's all that matters to him. His spiritual tummy can't take too much. One day a week, he gets his spiritual lunch. On Sunday, he puts on his spiritual best and gives his language a spiritual rest. He's just a fat little baby. He wants his bottle. He don't mean maybe. He's sampled solid foods once or twice, but his doctrine leaves him cold as ice. He's been baptized, sanctified, redeemed by the blood. But his daily devotions are stuck in the mud. He knows the books of the Bible In John 3.16. He's got the biggest King James you've ever seen. I've always wondered if he'll grow up someday. He's mama's boy and he likes it that way. If you happen to see him, tell him I said he'll never grow if he never gets fed. Fat baby. Well, God doesn't want us to remain Fat babies, certainly spiritually speaking, even physically speaking, it's someone's something's wrong for a child to remain in that infant or toddler state, cute as it can be. They eventually should and, and uh, have to grow out of that. But the same thing is true for us spiritually. There's nothing wrong with being an infant in Christ. There's something very wrong about remaining an infant in Christ. Now, the writer to the Hebrews has been describing the work of Jesus as our great high priest, and that leads him to this thought of Jesus having been designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And uh, verse 10 ends with that thought, and then he actually picks up again with that thought in chapter 6, verse 20. He describes Jesus, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, and goes on then in chapter 7 to talk about Melchizedek. And Lord willing, when we get to that point, we will we will look at that and who Melchizedek was and the significance of Jesus being a priest in his order. But having brought up that thought, he's also brought to a point of frustration that leads to something of, uh, of a scolding for his readers in these verses, because he recognizes that as he's about to talk about Jesus and the connection with Melchizedek, he's beginning to go over their heads. He's beginning to get into some things that are going to be difficult for them. Now, I have to admit, I think for all of us, when we get into talking about Melchizedek and the connection there, we feel like maybe he is talking to us here as well. Uh, And so he first rebukes them a little bit and then sort of exhorts them. But believers, uh, as his point is, should always strive for maturity in their understanding of Scripture. Now, yes, we want to strive for maturity in our character, uh, in our walk with the Lord, in our conduct, ourselves, in relationship to other people, our husband, our wife, whatever it might be. But here, he seems specifically to be thinking about maturity in terms of our understanding. Of course, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds so he would certainly argue and does in in this in this book that it should go beyond just mere notional ideas about the christian law and understanding of the bible but that certainly should be there because only when that's there are we then able to live as we should he talks about that even a little bit in this passage the author of the Hebrews gives us several reasons why we need to strive for a growing, strong, a strengthening, deepening understanding of the doctrines of God's word. Several reasons. The first one is so you can learn more. So you can learn more. Look at verse 11. He says about this, we have much to say. About what? Well, about Melchizedek and about Jesus as our high priest and the connection between Jesus and Melchizedek. We have much to say. There's a lot to talk about here. A lot of good things to think about. And it's hard to explain. Why is it hard to explain? You could say, well, doctrinally, it's, it's sort of difficult. It's rather complex. Or maybe the writer to the Hebrews feels some difficulty in his own ability to clarify, to, to explain. But that's not it. The problem doesn't lie with the writer to the Hebrews. The problem lies with the Hebrews, the recipients of this letter. It's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Wow. Well, there's nothing, no, no point in beating around the bush. Let's just get to the point here. Uh, it is interesting though, a little bit, and I need to explain. It doesn't say you are dull of hearing. He says you have become dull of hearing, which almost seems to imply that they weren't so much at one point. Maybe there was a point where they were eager to learn. Maybe there was a, there was a point where they were, uh, Digging into the Scriptures, uh, really trying to learn, trying to grow. A time when they were very open to thinking about hearing teaching on the Scriptures. But it seems maybe they have lapsed back into something of an infantile state. It's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. It seems maybe there's not that eagerness to listen. There's not that eagerness for teaching that they apparently once had. Now, this isn't the only place in Scripture where we come across this, this idea. Think back, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, the beginning of that chapter, as Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he says to them something very similar to what we see in Hebrews. Paul says, I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready. Uh, So, you know, the the difficulties Paul had with the church in Corinth, uh, certainly because of some things going on in the way that they were living kind of things they tolerated, the way they interacted with each other uh, very poorly in some cases. But at the same time, uh, it goes back also to what they know Uh, as infants. I fed you with milk, not solid food because you weren't ready for it. Even now you're not yet ready for it. And the writer of the Hebrews says the same thing. You have become dull of hearing. The problem is that if they would learn, if they they weren't dull, if they were hearing, if they were learning, then the more he would be able to teach them. You have to learn the basics, and then you build on the basics, as he indeed goes on to talk about here. The second reason is not just so we can learn more, so that in learning something we then build on that and are in a position to learn even more. More, but he also says, so the second reason is so you can teach others. Look at verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Now, by this time, you ought to be teachers. Again, nothing wrong with an infant in Christ, someone who's just learning the basics of the Bible, just beginning to learn things maybe you learned as a child in Sunday school, known all your life, take for granted um, about the Bible, about what it teaches. There's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is when someone has been a believer for years and has a hard time finding Romans in their Bibles, uh, there's something very wrong with that. He says to them, by this time, it implies that some perhaps years have now passed. You've been believers long enough that you yourselves ought to be teachers. Now, he's not—he's writing to all of them. He's not saying that they should all be teachers in the church. They should all be in in an official capacity. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying they should all be Sunday school teachers or they should all be elders or whatever the case might be. But he is saying they should be in a position now, having been believers for some period of time, where in terms of, the truths of the faith, they themselves ought to be able to teach to someone else, maybe an infant in Christ, the truths of the faith. By this time, you ought to be teachers, but that's not the case. In fact, they need to be among those who are taught. You need someone to teach you again. Teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God, so that word "again" seems to indicate what he what he was saying earlier. That there was a time when they were making progress, but they seem to have regressed. They seem to have slipped back. Kind of reminds me of uh, Doctor Davis's quote gave you this morning from Phil Rockin's book. Haven't I forgotten this once before? You know uh, that this amnesia and déjà vu. Uh, didn't. I, haven't I forgotten this before? Um, Well, they've forgotten some things, apparently. You need somebody to teach you again the basic principles, the elementary principles. We might say the ABCs. You need to go back and learn your numbers. You need to go back and learn the ABCs all over again. Which, by the way, warns us not only the need for diligence in growing, but the, the need to be diligent that we don't let go the attainments we have already acquired. Because he's talking to people who at one time were much more promising, but are are, are back at square one. They need to learn their ABCs. They need somebody who can teach them the very basics all over again. Or as he sums it up in verse 12, you need milk, not solid food. You need somebody to open up a jar of Gerbers for you and spoon feed you, where you yourself ought to be the ones who are able to teach, able to feed Able to instruct, able to disciple new believers in the Lord. So he's given them two reasons right now. So, they, so they'll be in a position to be able to learn more, but also so they would be in a position to be able to teach others. Now let's just kind of stop right there and, and, and think about that. Uh, where, how, how would that describe you? How would you fit in with what he's saying here? How long have you been a believer? Is your knowledge of the Scriptures proportional to how long you have been a professing believer in Jesus Christ? Or have you professed faith in Christ for years and yet would be at a complete loss uh, to to point someone in the Scriptures to a passage that talks about the death of Jesus uh, or the resurrection of Jesus, the very foundational events of our faith Yet, would you be able to point someone in the Scriptures? If, if a new Christian came up and said, well, where can I read in the Bible where it says Jesus rose from the dead? Would you know where to point them? Are you able to, to at some level, be able to instruct or teach others? Or are you always just there at a very basic level, uh, never really growing, not much interest in attending opportunities to hear the Bible taught or opportunities to read books about the Bible and grow on your own, or or best of all, just opportunities to read the Bible for yourself and, and, and hear what it's saying and read what it's saying? Or do we fall under the rebuke of the author of this epistle and say, where he says, you need milk, not solid food? Now, we want to be careful because there's another place where the idea of milk comes in, in a good sense, and that's over in First Peter chapter two, where uh, Peter writes in verse two, chapter two, verse two, "Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you've tasted the Lord is goods." First Peter two verses two and three. Uh, he refers to milk, but the, the metaphor is entirely different. He's saying just like a uh, just like a baby longs for milk, they want it. Desire it and let you know if they don't have it. Well, you as a believer should be like that. You should hunger, thirst, desire the pure spiritual milk of God's word to grow up to salvation. That's exactly what the writer of the Hebrews is saying. It's not that, that milk as a as an analogy for God's word is a bad thing. Peter uses it in a good way here. He's saying he's drawing the contrast between uh, 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 an adult who can eat solid food and a baby who has to exist on milk, on soft food. So you can continue to grow, so you can build on what you know. A second reason, he says, is so that you can teach others, and, and at the very least, parents, so that you can teach your children. A third reason he gives, so that you can live well. You will not live, you will not stand as a Christian the way you should if you do not understand biblical doctrine. That is, I think, in the Reformed Church is one of our strengths in this culture, which so devalues truth and so values experience. You have professing Christians, maybe uh, born again, maybe regenerate, and yet having no doctrinal, no mental framework for the Christian life. And that's where, in a Reformed and confessional church, the Westminster Confession, a larger catechism, a shorter catechism can be so valuable. Because in an organized way, they lay out that skeletal doctrinal structure that supports the Christian life. That gives us a place to stand, an understanding of God's Word that allows us to stand against all the craziness in the world around us. Uh, and we need that. We need that doctrinal skeleton that gives us shape, that gives us strength, that enables us to stand, uh, that enables us to live. Because the whole point of doctrine, the whole point of biblical truth, while it may be a delight to the mind, is ultimately to inform and affect and shape how we live, what we do, what we don't do, all of these things. Because uh, as we believe in our minds and our hearts, that's how we'll live. That's That's what we'll do. And certainly he has that in mind here, that uh, th- this doctrine, this learning, is not just so I can you can boast about what you know, far from it, it should humble you, but it is to affect how you live. And we see this in verses 13 and 14. He says, you need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since, since he is a child. Let's we'll stop at that and look at that. He's unskilled. There's a lack of ability in the word of righteousness. That's literally what it says. What does that mean? Well, it most likely refers to just the biblical teaching about righteousness, about how we are right with God, about what it means to be right with God and what it means to live righteously before God. Uh, it may be something of a, of a different way of referring to the gospel. Because the gospel, after all the good news of what Jesus did, is all about righteousness. How can we be righteous before a holy God who demands nothing less? Well, God has provided that in Christ Jesus. But to be unskilled in it, since he's a child, has the idea that while he may understand, well, Jesus died for me, and that's no small attainment, by the way, uh, and yet it's not enough. What difference does that make? Paul and other writers of these epistles in the New Testament go to great length to flesh out what the death and resurrection of Jesus means for me. And growing in maturity as a Christian means having that knowledge, but also being skilled in applying the reality of the death and resurrection of Christ to how I do my work this week, to how I treat my wife, this week, how I interact with my husband this week, how I instruct my children this week, how I deal with the news that I've been diagnosed with cancer this week. You see, there's a certain level of skill in being able to take the truth of the gospel that Jesus died for me and work that in to the everyday situations, everyday relationships that we encounter. That's what he's talking about. What difference does the gospel make in the way that I live, and why? What you have all too often is a bunch of spiritual infants who say, yes, Jesus died for me, but don't have the faintest clue how that informs the way they live. And there seems to be a disconnect between that profession and the decisions, the priorities, the choices, the values, the relationships that they have in their daily life. There is a skill, and in, in, in it's developed, it's learned in applying the gospel to real life. By the way, just a, by way of resource, if I can put in a plug for the CCEF, Christian Counseling and Education Foundation, is that correct? CCEF uh, up near Westminster Seminary. Um, guys like Tim Lane, David Powlison, Ed Welch, I've uh, written a number of books that I think do a superb job of showing just that. How the gospel, how who we are, having been, having been crucified with Christ and raised to new life in him, should affect all kinds of areas of our lives. Everything from our sexuality to our marriages to our work to our fears and anxieties, Uh, They do a good job and truly model what it means to be skilled in taking the gospel and applying it in different areas of life. And I can give you more specific recommendations uh, uh, later or another time. But uh, I just commend books uh, that some of those guys have written coming out published by men with CCEF because they do a good job of just this thing. Uh, They are skilled in the word of righteousness in applying the gospel. In our lives, But that's something we want to see and develop in our own lives. Now, the flip side of that is verse 14. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have had their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Those who have experience in applying the truths of God's word to life in the choices they make, choosing what is good, rejecting what is evil, being able to tell the difference between the two. And it's often dismaying to read advice columns in the paper. Where people seem to be bewildered, you know, should, should I move in with my boyfriend? You know, he, he's he's often moody and abusive, but I think if I move in with him, then maybe it'll get better. You know, I mean, just people seem to be at sea about some of these things. Uh, and what at least I hope to you and to me are, are very basic biblical and moral uh, questions uh, that the, the Bible uh, clearly answers. Solid food is for the mature. Uh, those who are not skilled in that need milk, but those who, as he says, who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice over time for this kind of discernment, distinguishing good from evil, uh, which, by the way, Adam and Eve didn't do such a good job. It's, kind of, it's a similar idea. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, here he says, the practice to distinguish good from evil, unlike Adam and Eve, who chose poorly. Um, but that's his point here. Not just so we can know and know more, not just so we can teach others, as are, those are important, but so that we can live well and train ourselves and be trained and train one another and encourage one another uh, to distinguish good from evil. In other words, per, putting this truth to work in our lives. I like the way Philip Edgecombe Hughes, in his commentary on Hebrews, puts it. He says that... Uh, but like Christian athletes, who, as the result of single-minded self-discipline and application to the contest on which they have entered, that is the Christian life, are persons of spiritual sensitivity and discernment. And it's not just a hearty few. This isn't just to be your pastor and elders, but all believers should show that this athletic zeal. Hence the exhortation is addressed to all. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. And then the last thing he says, we need to strive to grow in our understanding of the doctrines of Scripture uh, so that we can move forward. So that, once again, they and and we can can be making progress. We will never totally arrive, the side of glory, but we should be moving forward, not sitting still or hopefully not moving backwards as they seem to have done. And we see this in chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Now, you want to be careful with that statement. In one sense, you never leave the elementary doctrine of Christ, in the sense that you never get beyond Christ crucified. The rest of the Christian life is learning how that applies, basically. There's not some deeper knowledge that you have to acquire, It's not some esoteric knowledge that uh, only the enlightened are, are, are let in on, something like that. He's not saying we ignore it or we move beyond it. But what he is saying is in terms of teaching, in terms of our knowledge, we do need to move beyond just Jesus died for me, is, as magnificent and foundational as that is. Um, and that's what he's saying. Let's leave these elementary doctrines and go on to maturity, not laying again. And this would be some things he considers the ABCs. He considers these the ABCs. Uh, Perhaps for you, they seem like an advanced degree. He considers these basic. These are some of the things he mentions. Uh, A foundation of repentance from dead works. Uh, Probably referring to works that lead to death, sinful behavior. Although he could also refer to empty religion. Chapter 9, just a couple chapters over. Chapter 9, verse 14. He says, uh, comparing Jesus with the the priesthood of the Old Testament, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? I think it's sufficient just to think of those things as uh, our efforts at righteousness, our efforts to be right with God, but they ultimately lead to death, uh, regardless whether those are charitable uh, or, or religious, whatever they might be. And a faith toward God, trusting in God, certainly trusting in Jesus for salvation. Salvation, but but faith towards God, trusting that God is good, trusting that God is in control. Important, yes, but in his view, fairly rudimentary, fairly basic in the Christian life. Uh, verse two of instructions about washings, uh, which is the word is a word related to the word for baptism. It is that word, but it has a different ending. Uh, it's not the word you would normally refer to, use to refer to baptism, uh, maybe baptisms. Uh, probably talking about maybe understanding the difference between Christian baptism on the one hand and various uh, Jewish rituals, ceremonial washings, that kind of, of thing. You may get some uh, hint of that when the Pharisees criticized Jesus' disciples for not washing their hands which wasn't just about cleanliness, it was it involved religious ritual. Uh, and maybe that's what he's talking about. They're just having an understanding about those things, uh, these washings. Uh, the laying on of hands, which in the Scriptures uh, occurred in all kinds of contexts, including healing, including praying for someone, even in the Old Testament, uh, connection in terms of guilt. You know, you'd put your hand on the offering as it was slain. Um Giving of the Holy Spirit, uh, as well, those kinds of things. But the laying on of hands, laying on of hands for ordination as well, uh, instruction about that, uh, the resurrection of the dead. Uh, we think, for example, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, where believers had a question, well, you know, what about those who've already died and what's going to happen with them? Or you think of Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, his teaching on the, the importance of Jesus' resurrection as the first fruits and the guarantee of our resurrection. Um, Again, foundational, vital, important, absolutely, but the ABCs of the Christian life, the foundational things, and of course, eternal judgment. Uh, Foundational, what's going to become of those who die in their rebellion against the Lord? Uh, Well, eternal judgment is a foundational, and basic teaching, but one of the ABCs. That's the reason Christ came, because apart from him, we are uh, going to face eternal judgment. And that's what Jesus suffered himself for us so that we wouldn't have to. Are these all important? Yes. Are they foundational? In many cases, yes. But they're also the basics. We want to know those. We want to understand those things, yes. But we also want to build on those things. We want to be able to understand the more challenging, more engaging, more intriguing parts of Scripture as well. And not just say, well, that's all too hard for me. I'll just let the pastor worry about that. I'll just let the elders worry about that. Uh, No. You ought to be curious about the Bible. You ought to to certainly understand these things well, but to move on beyond that. And that's what he says in verse 3. This we will do if God permits. The Lord willing, we will do this. We will, as he says, leave these things and, and 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 move forward, go on to maturity, not having to keep going over and over and over the ABCs of the Christian life. Don't be one of those people who always seems to be just struggling with the very beginning. Now, in one sense, the more you grow, the more like you feel like you need to grow, the more you feel like you've grown so little. And that's that's true, that's accurate. But on the other hand, there are people who've been believers for a very long time, at least professing believers, maybe genuinely believers, and yet, for whatever reason, have made no effort, have taken have no interest in taking opportunities uh, to, to grow, to learn, to get to a point where they not only understand the elementary truths and the more advanced truths of the Scripture, but can begin to explain those to others. Uh, don't let that be you. You be the person who is making progress, who is growing in your understanding of God's word and your ability to communicate it to others. You probably felt this way, you who are parents. Um, you enjoy every stage of your children's lives. As I realized my children were beginning to move out of that cute toddler stage and beginning to grow up, there was, there was almost a sadness. You, know, you almost wish you could just keep them at that cute little stage Forever, although certainly were their days um, that were not so cute, but um, you know, almost if you could preserve that, but that would be wrong. What's right is that, as wonderful as that stage was, they move on to the next, and they move on to the next. Well, that should be true of us as believers as well. Um, milk's for babies, and milk is a good thing for babies, but you do want to get your biblical teeth be able to chew on some solid food. And believe me, by the time we get through Hebrews, we will have chewed on some solid food for the mature. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this passage, and Lord, we take this rebuke to heart. Uh, Father, I think of the many years I have been a believer, the great teaching I have received over the years, and look at myself and think, Lord, I should be so much farther along, so much more advanced. Forgive me, Father, for, for being dull of hearing, certainly at times. But Father, give me a great hunger for your word and a desire to know it, and know it well. And, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this evening the same thing, that we would hunger for you, that we would love your word, that it would be our delight, Lord, as Psalm 119 says over and over again, our delight to meditate on your law, to think about your truth. And not just in the abstract, Father, but to delight in the growing skill of applying it to ourselves in our daily lives. And so, Father, give us grace to advance, to maturity, in Christ in this way. For we ask it in his name. Amen.